Happy Mother's Day. Thanks so much for joining us on this special day. Moms, we're especially excited that you are here. So to all the moms in the room joining us online or even represented in the lives of the people in this room, we just want to say thank you for all the hard work that you do, for the work that you pour in to others, and we're grateful uh, to celebrate with you this morning. Also, as Pastor Greg said, we recognize that Mother's Day can have a lot of emotions riding along alongside of that. And so whether Mother's Day is a happy day for you or whether there's some pain or sorrow there, we just want to let you know that there's space to celebrate each and every aspect of that motherhood journey here this morning. So motherhood is filled with ups and downs and highs and lows, and uh, that was just this morning getting to church. Uh, never fails. The kids always run the best behavior around these special days, aren't they? They just intuitively get ready and they look so nice and uh, yeah just a small gift for you moms on this your day but I hope that you snagged a picture I hope that those uh, develop well for you they'll be on the table on the way out we just want to give you a, a small memento something to remember your time with us today there'll also be a, a little bit of chocolate moms because um, can't go wrong right so we are uh, looking at our third week of a series that we're just calling life. How do we win at the game of life, specifically in the ways that matter most? We started off talking about that sometimes we play the game, but we don't play to win. Like my son Asher, who I happened to beat twice yesterday in Monopoly, Sometimes we play the game, we know all the rules, but we're going after the wrong strategy, right? He only wants Boardwalk and Park Place, and I trounce him every single game, and I don't feel bad about that at all, right? He's going to learn someday that he's got to diversify with his resources, and just like that, in life we have to learn that sometimes going after the things that everybody else is going after isn't necessarily the best plan to win the game, especially the game that God calls us to in life. Last week we talked about prayer, and we said, 
said, hey, if, if you're living your life according to godly principles is the goal, then you're going to need an ally. You're going to need a connection to work through this game. And we said that prayer is fundamentally about us changing, becoming the people that God wants us to be and going on that journey together with him. And so today, in honor of Mother's Day, of course, we're going to talk about love. Because if you're going to win at the game of life, then love must be a central theme of the things that we devote ourselves to and the ways in which God calls us to live. Nowhere is this more clear than in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love passage. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Perhaps you read it at your wedding or you heard it at a wedding that you were at recently, but let's just start kind of right at the beginning here. 1 Corinthians 13 verse one. Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, then I'm like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, not a good thing. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I'm missing love, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is tuning into something here about the trajectory of his life, arguably the trajectory of all of our lives, especially those lived in faith. If we could put a starting point here, a pin in our journey, we could say that love is the currency in which our life is measured. Love is the sum total of what we're pursuing and what we're about. And you've had countless opportunities, countless stories, right, about people at the end of their life who are aren't trying to pad their bank account more, but who are wishing they had more quality time spent with those friends and family, those loved ones. And yet we find ourselves all too often trading our time with loved ones for resources that are temporary, right? Another way to say this is the way that Jesus says it. What good is it to gain the world, to gain riches and power and influence, but to lose the things that matter in process? What good is it to sacrifice every meaningful relationship to get what we can't take with us. And I'm just afraid that we sometimes have the paradigm wrong in our pursuit of the things that we chase after in this life. And if we're going to experience life that is truly life, the life that God offers to us in Jesus, then we must count the love that is shared between us and we must value that above simply the numbers in our paychecks or our bank accounts or our 401ks or whatever's represented in our garages. But love in itself is easy enough to come across, right? I mean, people fall in and out of love, it seems, constantly. But the hallmark of our faith, what I believe Jesus calls us to, is not simply the love is displayed on the big screens or the Hollywood, right? Love is not just an emotional response, but a visceral, gut-wrenching, costs all we have and we gladly pay it kind of love. And the love that God calls us to is not just that displayed for our friends and close family, for the people that we care most about, but God calls us to display this type of love for the entire world around us. See, I think that selfless love is the defining characteristic of being a Christ 
follower, not just emotional love, not just care and concern for the people around us, but a selfless love that gives of itself is the defining characteristic. It's the hallmark of our faith. Jesus' words to his followers at multiple points throughout the Scripture affirm this. Let's just remind ourselves of one in John chapter 15. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his Friends, that love moves us to set aside our preferences, even our lives, for the sake of the other person. And again, Jesus isn't talking about our spouse. He's not just talking about our kids. He's saying there's something in the way in which we, as representatives of him, interact with the world, that we follow him in the world, that we love the people around us in a transforming kind of way. See, I I think that love has taken a place in society that is slightly off kilter from this, right? We, we love love. We celebrate love, right? We like to hear stories of love, and we like to find ways in which love expresses itself, but, but love has become synonymous with, with freedom. It's almost like love has become more about the emotion that we receive as opposed to the definition that we see laid out in Scripture, Love has become a choice that we can choose to engage in or simply choose not to engage in. And when love is no longer present, then we're free to move on from any given relationship. But what Jesus is talking about, what this hallmark of our faith is demonstrating, is something much deeper and more radical than that. It's a love that works in spite of losing freedom. It's a love that commits itself over and above. A couple of scriptures to help us frame this conversation, right? In Luke 6, Jesus says this. He says, if you love those who love you only, then what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. The point being that if all we're called to do as Christ followers is demonstrate the love that's already out there and shown to us, then what's the point of Jesus coming? What's the point of us being followers of him? There's no identifying characteristic. Or let's go back to Paul. Let's see how he finishes up his thought in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Here's how he continues on his definition of love. He says, love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, not easily angered, and it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. What I hear clearly in Paul's words this morning is that love isn't about what we get fundamentally. Love isn't about that emotional feeling. It's not just the pieces of love that we receive, but it has to do with what we give to those around us, what we pour ourselves out in pursuit of. 
Because love, after all, isn't self-seeking, right? It doesn't look out for its own. It's not out for number one. Instead, it seeks the benefit of others. Love doesn't put others down, but rather it rises them up. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It just assumes the best on the other part of the equation. Translation is that love is selfless, not selfish. Love doesn't free us to pursue our own desires, but rather it binds us, it hinges us to the things that are most worthy and deserving of expressing that love. I I would say that if we look at Scripture and the teachings that it has about this concept of love, that love in its only real form is this selfless and sacrificial way. And when we let love simply become reduced to a feeling, to an emotion, then we find ourselves disconnected with the life that God is calling us to live, with the life that He wants to reveal in us to experience through Him and through connection with the people in the world around us. And while I don't think that if we were sitting down over coffee and having this conversation, I, I don't know that anybody would disagree with that definition, right? This isn't controversial. It may be difficult to pour out. It may be hard to find. It may not be the norm, but it's not something that we disagree with. It's just not what's readily available to us. Right? Love is, after all, the high schooler who is full of hormones confessing their love for each other in order to move forward in the relationship, only to be met with heartache and disappointment. Love is found in that first kiss. Love is found in pushing the envelope and going forward. People are hurt in the name of love. And so I think that this concept of love, especially in the church body, is in need of a little bit of reframing, a little bit of TLC if you will. Because love is paramount. It's the first thing, not because of the endorphins that it releases or the connections that we experience. Love that gives itself to the other person and that does not consider itself is the first step and invitation towards God's transforming presence and work in our lives. The transforming love of God in us is displayed that we might also be changed. Love is the conduit. It's the power source. It's the connection that we have to God the Father. Right In 1 John 4, Scripture clearly lays out that God is love, and so in its fullest extent, when God is present in our lives, then His love is present as well. And this God who chose to lay down His life in Jesus, so when we love in that Spirit, connected in that place, we experience God's truth about ourselves and about the world around us, those relationships that we find ourselves connected to. So how do we recover this truth about love? How do we make it more than what's displayed for us? How do we advocate in the world for something far deeper and far more meaningful than just the emotional response that we're designed to have? It's no coincidence that today is Mother's Day. I think the most, op- the most obvious way in which we see this selfless kind of love played out is in the life of a mother right? Who sacrifices everything to bear and to raise their children, who gives up freedom and benefits, sacrificing sanity and body and everything else along the way to care and nurture the one that they love, right? No discredit to dads in the room, right? It's just not your day. 
Come back in a month and we'll talk more about that, right? But we celebrate this type of motherly love. Dads, we show it too, right? You show it in sporting events and fishing trips. You show it in helping with projects or taking time away from projects to play catch in the yard. This selfless love is found in spouses caring for each other above themselves. There's even this selfless love displayed in singleness as we pursue that which our heart seeks. Nonetheless, while this selfless love may be the defining characteristic of our faith, and while we catch glimpses of it in the bonds of loving family, when it comes to the whole of our life, selfless love is far more absent than self-fulfilling love. Right? For most people, selfless love is the exception, not the norm. Because selfless love for anyone outside of our family is difficult. It's hard. You might even say that it's unnatural, right? We're gifted with a strong sense of self-preservation, of watch out for number one, protect our family, protect our resources, let's keep what we have. After all, to win the game of life, you have to protect all that's been given to you. Except that in that pursuit, while we pad the lines of our bank accounts, we bankrupt our emotional connection with the world around us. And we are impoverished in the areas of our lives that matter most. If we want to win at the game of life, we have to change the scorecard. And one way to do that is to measure the love that we give above the possessions that we have to take into account the places in which we demonstrate and pour out a love that is not about what we receive, but is about what we can give and bless people, to take what we've been given in Jesus, to be transformed by it, and then instead to begin pouring it out in the world around us. It's a reflective question for us all today. What would it take for us to change the narrative on the focus of our lives? To change it from what we can produce and what we can possess and what we can own to instead be what can we do to benefit others? What can we do to pour ourselves out in the way in which Jesus poured himself out for us? Recklessly, selflessly, only for others. What can we do to marginalize almost ourselves as it were for the sake of others? And again, not just those closest to us, our friends, family, and spouses, but for the world at large. What if we took God's word seriously, that we're to love others in the same manner that Jesus loved us, that he gave himself up for us, and so we give ourselves up, our rights up, we give up our freedoms in pursuit of loving the other person. This type of love isn't natural. That's kind of the point. That's why Jesus infuses it into us. It's why we're given the Holy Spirit as a sign and a seal for this. But the point is that when we experience the selfless love of Jesus, that it not only transforms us, but it actually reworks our priority system. It actually changes us to be about something different than we were about before, that that transforming presence in our lives translates into us transforming others in the same capacity, with the same heartbeat, in the same way. Jesus tells a story about this that was compelling to me today as I reflected, so I thought we'd go through it together. It's a familiar story, probably one that you've heard, and it's one I think that we can all relate to in some capacity. Here's how the story goes. This is in Matthew chapter 18. 
Jesus is speaking and he's telling a parable. The question that prompts this is actually in response to a question about forgiveness, but I think we can trace an easy line towards transforming love in the midst of this. He says, therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts. He wanted to break even with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. That's harsh by our standards, but it was very, very commonplace in the time in which Jesus spoke. You wouldn't gather that type of debt without knowing that this was a consequence. Let's keep reading verse 26. He says, at this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Notice the comparison, 10,000 bags of gold versus a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him with the same exact words. Notice, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? As I read that story in the context of this conversation, I I recognize so much that part of the issue for this transforming love is that the expectation of God on us is that when we experience the type of forgiveness and reconciliation, the type of love that Jesus pours out for us, that it is a return on investment, that we are to be so changed, so moved by this demonstration of selfless love that it changes our nature, that we become dispensers of the same type of thing. The equation doesn't work like that, right? As we read this story, perhaps you have the same visceral reaction that the king does, right? How dare someone who's been given so much, been forgiven so much, treat someone else in a different kind of way? It's not fair. It's not right. I would simply say this, that the first servant experienced that selfless, transforming love, but he didn't allow it to sink in to his heart. It didn't allow it to transform him and to change who he was because of it. Selfless love is transformational in nature. It changes us from who we are into the best versions of ourselves so that we can become dispensers and transformers of the love in the world as well. Right? Love transforms us and then we transform the world. And this is completely what parents do, mothers specifically. This is what fathers do, right? Your world is turned upside down by that tiny pink thing, was it not? Everything changes at the most basic elements, right? It's a reflection of what God does for us. His love transforms us, and so we transform the world for our baby, right? We put a crib in our bedroom, right? You let someone else sleep in your bed. You fix all the outlets. You put gates on the stairs. You eat McDonald's instead of real food. 
Our love for our children transforms us, and it's supposed to. I think if we look at our faith and the kind of love that Jesus has for us, too many of us have the knowledge of the gospel. We've accepted the love that Jesus offers us, but we, like the servant, haven't taken it in to be transformed by it. And when it stops short, it makes something that doesn't resemble at all the love that we've received. I'm not trying to make us feel guilty in this conversation. I'm just trying to point out the reality that far too often we're the ones in Jesus' story that he's talking about. We know the weight of our sin. We know the debt that has been forgiven. We experience the Lord's loving kindness poured out lavishly on our behalf. And while we're grateful for it, too often it doesn't change us. It doesn't change what we do on Sunday morning or Saturday night or the people that we spend our time with. It's not poured out for their sake. It doesn't change how we talk about people, how we love people, or how we care for people in the world around us. The word from Scripture is that we've been given such an amazing gift in this demonstration of selfless love, and what do we do with it? If selfless love is the defining characteristic of our faith, is it the defining characteristic of us? If selfless love is the defining characteristic of the God that we serve who demonstrates it in Jesus poured out love on the cross for us, is it the most identifiable piece of you as a Christ follower? Would your neighbors identify it in you? What would your co-worker say, your spouse your kids, somewhere we've missed the point that love is not about what we get, but that transforms us to become who God would have us be so that we can give it away as well. And if we're talking about the life that God has for us, that every single moment of life is infused with a godly presence, that the euphoria feeling of love wasn't designed just so that we could receive from it, but it's meant to be multiplied and poured out for the sake of the world and caring for and loving people. This is the heart of the gospel, the power of Jesus. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he gave himself for us. But it wasn't just so we could be saved and make it to heaven someday. It's so that we could live out the same type of radical, selfless, countercultural love that we could care for people in the same manner in which Jesus cared for them. And the Holy Spirit is the living, transforming presence inside of us to go and love like he does. And I'm not simply talking about making more Christ followers, although we should be doing that. I'm talking about unleashing life and love in the world that isn't there if we, the church, if God's people don't do it. I'm talking about creating loving families in this body that we call the church that's meant to go out and mend and fix broken relationships in the love, to repair where selfish love exists and transform it into self-sacrificing love that Jesus demonstrates for us. I'm talking about changing our frame of reference from what we can get from this world to instead what can we give to it to transform it to be more in God's image. Part of this thinking this week, yes, has to do with mothers, but it also is because I've had so much time to have some difficult conversations about the events that transpired in our greater community this week. 
read countless news stories and articles connecting the tragedy that occurred in Highlands Ranch this week with other demographics and past ones that are just in the rearview mirror for this community. I've had people wrestle with the questions. So how do we change our community? How can we help people? How do we make sure this never happens again, not only to protect our kids, but to make sure that people don't feel as alone and isolated and cut off as the people who commit these acts feel. And as I was praying and reflecting and just thinking about the place that God has us, I went, this is why the church exists. Not specifically our church, but just Jesus's presence in general. It's to go into the world and to let people have a place of acceptance and belonging, to find a place where love exists for them. When we make love about what we can get to love people so intensely that they receive it, then we find it isolating when it is not present. When love is just simply the Hollywood term and we don't feel that, then it isolates us and it creates horrible stories like the ones in our rear view mirror. But I think, I hope, my prayer is that the love of Jesus, that this self-sacrificing kind of love demonstrated on the cross but present in your life and in mine has something to offer to people in the world who don't experience it regularly to people whose stories aren't our own, to people who haven't seen or experienced the love of Jesus poured out or any type of selfless love displayed in their life. And I'm going, this is why I follow Jesus. It isn't just because I get to go to heaven and it isn't just because it's where I found life. It's not because of what I get from following Jesus. It's because his love transforms me to go out and love people who so desperately need it. And this community needs the church to be a people who have experienced that type of love and who can go forth and send it out, who can change their community, change people because of it so that tragedies like this don't happen. Again, I'm not suggesting we can insulate us and make sure that no bad things ever happen in our children's schools or anywhere else, but I am saying that the church should be making an impact in those places. We should be pouring ourselves out in love in our local schools. We should be finding opportunities to transform people again, not just simply into Christ followers, but into places where selfless love is poured out and demonstrated. How do we do that? How do we pour out this type of thing? I think there's two main points. Number one is that we have to experience it. I think that so much of the deficit in the world around us is that love is displayed as what we can get, not what we can give. And if we want to transform the world with this selfless type of love, then we have to live it out ourselves. We have to experience it. And I know of no other place to do that than in the story of Jesus. Then the story of someone who came, gave everything so that he could pour himself out for no other reason than that he loved us. We have to first experience it. And if you haven't been transformed by the story of Jesus, if you haven't seen it in action, then there's no way that you can transform others because you're disconnected from the source. If you've never invited Jesus to come in and not just accept you as you were, but to transform you into something bigger, then life will always be missing something. No matter how much money you make, how many friends you have, how many people you connect with, there will always be a gap in your life. Similarly, if experiencing Jesus was something that you did that one time a long time ago, 
You'll never fully live and walk in the selfless love that he demonstrates for us. You'll run out of steam. You'll become exhausted. You'll become bitter. You'll become worn out. Selfless love has to be connected to the power source. Hopefully you experience that in church, in small groups, in serving, in pouring yourselves out. But the first step towards changing the world with this selfless love is to experience it ourselves. Step number two, put it into practice. Practice it. Start doing it. Once you've seen and experienced the love of God poured out in Jesus, once you've seen it in the lives of relationships at work around you, experiencing it in the church and around, it's time to put those things into practice. You've seen it. You've experienced it. Now do it. What does that look like? Anything that feels selfish, do the opposite. If someone is doing the dishes, have them sit down, you go do it. Let them rest while you work. If your inclination is to work on a project for yourself, check on what your kids are doing instead. Are you edging the lawn? Edge your neighbors too. Did you finish a project early at work? See if your coworker needs a hand. Volunteer someplace that needs help. Literally, the possibilities are endless. But the point being that if this, if church, if your spiritual life is just some place that you go to receive this message of selfless love, you'll never actually grow in your faith. Because there's no opportunity for that to be poured out. And so many of us come to church and we experience Jesus and we just take it all in. But if it doesn't transform us to do something different, then it will always be less than half of the experience that God calls us to. Love isn't simply meant to be held on to. It's meant to be a catalyst for us to display it in the world. So have you experienced selfless love? And secondly, if you have, what are you doing about it? Has it changed you to where you see it in people around you and where you can demonstrate it? What are the places where, you pour, where you're pouring that out? Love is fundamentally selfless, not selfish. Love transforms us, and then we let our love transform the world. So when it comes to your love, are you self-seeking self-giving? Are you looking out for number one or are you looking for ways to bring others in? Because if you want to live a life that's worth living, if you want to find yourself at a place where at the end of life you're winning in the areas that you really care about that actually matter, it starts with this transforming presence of self-sacrificing and selfless love. I'm going to invite the band to come up. We'll sing one more song together. And as we do that, I would just encourage you to bow your heads and to perhaps do some soul work. Go to God and ask him any of the questions that were raised here today. What am I experiencing in this life, God? Have I been transformed by your love? And if I have, then where are the places where I'm transforming others? What are the places and spaces that you've uniquely placed me in that I could be a transforming presence of your love in that community? Don't relegate it to church conversations. Don't relegate it to simply sharing the gospel as perhaps you've been raised to do. Instead, see yourself as a change agent through demonstrating the love of Jesus poured out. There are no walls or restrictions on that. There's no place where that's illegal. So where are those places and spaces where God is calling you to be a transforming presence? 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us now, that you would identify places and spaces in our life where perhaps we need more from you, God. We need to experience more of your loving kindness for us. We need to inject the story of Jesus into our lives and into our narratives, God. We're missing it at a place or two. God, would you be faithful to meet us there? And if we are yours, God, if we're your disciples, if you've displayed your love for us in countless ways and we know and understand it, God, where are the places that we can pour out? Where are the places that we can give ourselves to, God? Would you affirm us in the places where we're already about your work? And God, would you show us that one step, that one area, that one thing that you've called and equipped us to do to share your love with the people around us? God, I'm convinced that if we do those things, that not only will our lives be different, not only will our families be different and our neighborhoods be different, but God, I think that our community changes through those tiny acts of intentional selfless love, through demonstrating your love for us by the way in which we love others. Jesus, would you call us into those places? Would you equip us with your strength to do that? God, may the world be different because we are here. And may you be honored in all that we do in that. All God's kids agreed together and said, Amen.